They crucified him. And that's all the Gospels tell us in one sense about that Good Friday event. An event that is so crucial to us as Christians and indeed for world history. They crucified him, an economy of words. And it's interesting that the source of that word crucial comes from the Latin crux, which means cross. So crucial, decisive, conveys something of the unique character of that first Good Friday. Now in Jesus' time, crucifixion was not against the law. In fact, it was carried out by the law. It was an exceptionally gruesome method of torturing a person to death, carried out by the government in full public view. In New Testament times, everybody would have seen crucified men along the roadsides of the Roman Empire. It was very common. People were familiar with the horrific sight of naked men in agony, the smell and sight of their bodily functions taking place in full view of all, the sounds of their groans and laboured breathing going on for hours and in some case for days. A crucified person was as low and as despised as they could possibly be, the scum of society. The whole scene was deliberately intended to be obscene. And the Passion accounts in the Bible reflect in part a very ancient ritual of humiliation, the mocking of Jesus, the spitting and the scorn, the crown of thorns, the purple robe, the sign taunting him, the King of Jews, all were part of a deliberate process, shaming Jesus, humiliating Jesus, that culminated in the actual crucifixion. I find it really interesting and of utmost importance to note that in an era when crucifixion was still going on for the scum of the earth, widely practiced out throughout the Roman Empire, Christians were proclaiming a degraded, condemned, crucified, humiliated person as the Son of God. One amongst all those. By any ordinary standard, and especially by religious standards, this was simply unthinkable. Who would pronounce someone like that as the Son of God, the Saviour of the world? I reckon this is one of the most powerful arguments for the truth of the Christian faith. The human religious imagination could have not arrived at this kind of belief of a crucified Messiah. Still a stumbling block to so many in our world today. You know, we're accustomed to seeing crosses, part of your jewellery. No, I don't ask you to turn there. You know, wearing them on chains, carrying them in processions and so forth. That it's almost impossible to grasp the original horror. We've almost romanticised and sentimentalised the cross. We're used to thinking of it merely as a religious symbol. The cross was in no way religious. 
It was a form of torture used by governments to deal with the lowlights of society. The cross in reality is by a very long way the most irreligious, unspiritual object ever to find its way into the heart of faith. And I think that's why Paul calls it a stumbling block. It's so unexpected to see that torturous instrument becoming precious and powerful. I repeat... I think that this fact is a powerful testimony to the unique significance of the death of Christ. I find it really interesting that the gospel, the four gospel writers tell us nothing of the physical suffering of Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, you might have gone and watched some of these films, Mel Gibson's film and seen the horror, but the gospels say absolutely nothing nothing and I think that's so we focus in the right place there's a there's a theological meaning behind this that the crucifixion is an enactment of the worst that we are an embodiment of the most sadistic and inhuman impulses that are us the human race that lie within us the son of God absorbed all of that drew it into himself all the cruelty of all of the human race for all of time came to a single focus in the cross. That's what we're supposed to see. Can we ever begin to imagine the acute stress that Jesus was under? Not just the physical. Can we possibly understand the horror and the indignity of that cross? Well, as we read the gospel records, we discover that they record seven words or seven sayings that Jesus uttered from the cross. And these words are windows into the meaning of the cross. And to help us reflect on the decisive events of Good Friday and Easter, I'm beginning a series of messages today that look at the seven last words of Jesus from the cross. I want to remind you that Jesus was under extreme stress when he spoke these words. He was on an instrument of torture. They are indicative of who the man really was and is. They reveal what was in his heart. We say the fruit of the lips reveals what's in the heart. And because these words were spoken by Jesus at the point they were, they have value beyond measure to reveal the heart of Jesus. And my prayer is this, that because these were the utterances of his heart, that they will somehow find something corresponding in our hearts over this time. So to today's word, perhaps right at the point of crucifixion, right at the point where the nails were driven into his hands and his feet, and the cross was just dropped into the dirty great big hole set and prepared for it, Jesus cried out the most memorable and powerful prayer uttered in all of history, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It brings into focus the single most important belief of biblical Christianity, forgiveness. father and I, I kind of picture Jesus 
looking up to the heavens. I don't know why, but crying out, Father! Well, look at his heart at this point of time. Look at the beauty of the heart of Jesus. Here we begin to see the wonder of the father-son relationship. Jesus, Jesus, with his word of intimacy, unmistakably identified God as father to the crowds at the foot of the cross. It must have been terrifying for many people in that frenzied mob to see Jesus look towards the heavens and cry out, Father, you see, what was the reason they were crucifying Jesus, or at least the reason they said? What were they taunting with him with right at this moment? Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. Father. That's why he was on the cross. God so loved the world, we say it so easily, that he gave his one and only son. The eternal father and his son were together doing an incredible work of redemption in this point of time. And that's what this cry is revealing to the mob. God's here, guys. You know, I believe that deep down in every human heart there is some intuitive understanding that fatherhood is what the universe is all about. It was Paul writing to a church at Ephesus who said that the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name from the Father. I think it's instinctive in us. You know, eternity has been put in our hearts. Could this writhing, bloodied piece of flesh, covered in spit, could this possibly be the Son of God? Father. It's a revelation of the Holy Spirit that we would know God as Father. Father, forgive them. Incredibly, at this moment of injustice, this deep agony and dignity, Jesus' thoughts turn where? To others. Forgive them. That mob at the foot of the cross must have looked up in sheer amazement. It's an incredibly stunning prayer. Forgive us? Was this really all just an act? Was he pretending? Was he for real? Who does he think he is? Could it be true? Caiaphas, the Jewish council, the Jewish people, Judas, the disciples, Herod, the Roman soldiers, the bloodthirsty mob, the two thieves. Father, forgive them. The whole tragic scene and the figure of a pathetic man dying. And he was asking the Father to forgive them. I reckon the mob was going, we don't need this awful thing here for our forgiveness to deal with our sin. Just in case we've forgotten, we're part of the mob. We're part of the mob at the foot of the cross. Can you hear Jesus saying to the Father, the Father of love, 
to you today to forgive you. It's kind of humbling, isn't it? Standing before the lowest of low. Father, forgive them. That prayer is simply saying to us that because God is Father, there is forgiveness for all of us. Our sin can never exhaust God's love and mercy. That's what that prayer is saying. Richard's already reminded us of that this morning. Yeah, we set out to honour God. We may fail. Well, we're forgiven first. Sin is bending life towards our own selfish selves. Bending away from God toward ourselves. Away from all God's good desires for us. And in this way we begin to rebel against God by asserting our independence. And that insults and offends him. It leads to all kinds of actions in our lives that are not pleasing to God. It leads to a barrier between us and God. We owe a great debt to God. Father, forgive them. Now the word forgive is borrowed from the world of commerce and finance. It's a money word. In the secular Greek world, it meant the cancellation of a debt, the pardoning of a loan. Now many of you here today, I suspect, have home loans. Home loans that might be pretty big and you're wondering how you're ever going to get them down. I'm in the fortunate blessed lot to have paid all mine off, thank goodness. But you're in debt to the bank. You owe the bank substantial amounts of money. What would it be like to walk into the bank manager tomorrow and have him say to you, your loan is forgiven. Your debt is cancelled. There is no more to pay. And what if the manager shredded all your loan documents right there in front of your eyes and then went over to the computers and erased your name and your debt from out of the computers before your eyes? I do believe some of you would faint with disbelief. You would check the sanity of the bank manager. But eventually you would run to family and friends and shout for joy. In fact, you might run out onto the street in front of the bank doing something weird, going, Whee! It's all over. Debt paid. Jesus prays for the Father to forgive us. He prays for the cancellation of debt, the pardoning of sin. The pardoning of a loan. God is removing the debt we owe to him, covering it over, putting it away completely and unreservedly, um, blotting it out, tearing it up, in his son Jesus on the cross right at this moment. This is a sheer act of grace from our merciful and loving Father. It was the prophet Micah who said, You will tread our, speaking of God, you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And here it was happening as the Father and Son did their work together on the cross. You know, we can't bypass the horror of the cross. 
When Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, he himself was committing himself to a titanic struggle with the whole weight of the whole sin of the world, past, present and future, in that moment on the cross. How do you go handling one sin, one persistent sin? Jesus took the whole bang lot for all eternity. I hear a lot of people say, you know, it was the spikes nailed into Jesus' feet and into his hands that kept him on the cross. I think getting closer to the truth is when we sing, it was our sin that nailed him to the cross. But I reckon we get to the heart of it when we know it's the Father's love for us and Jesus' love for us that held him on the cross until he dealt a death blow to sin. Has the forgiveness of the Father penetrated your whole being? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Is this even possible? Surely they knew. You don't hammer spikes into a person's hands and feet and not know what you're doing, you know. You don't cry, crucify him, crucify him and set free a brigand unless you understand what you were saying. But they didn't really know about the nature of sin as the one on the cross did, along with his Father in heaven. Paul said later on, writing to the church at Corinth about the rulers of the Jewish faith, had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, sin is an irrational invasion of the human spirit. It prevents you and me from becoming all that God has created us to be. It dehumanizes us. It bends us away from God. As I was preparing this this week i just sat there and thought i wonder what my life would have looked like if it hadn't have been dehumanized to some extent by sin in my life i wonder i wonder ever thought that about your life if if you weren't dehumanized by sin the glory you know you see glimpses of it but just imagine the full glory Sin bends us away from God and there really is a sense in which we don't know what we are doing. But praise God, Jesus did know and he stayed there in love for us until it was done. During the Iraq war in 2002, a military chaplain preached a a homily, a, a message to a little congregation of US troops in the southern Iraqi desert. And this is what he said. We still have some enemies to deal with. Enemies. Truth be told, a lot of our enemies are not up north. A lot of our enemies are here in our heart. He got it. 
Jesus knew. That's why he died. We're all our own worst enemy. Our nation has been saddened, dumbfounded and rattled by the family tragedy that occurred in Brisbane this week where a man torched to death his wife and three little children and then inflicted death-dealing wounds on himself. Can we see within our own hearts the capacity to engage in such terrible acts? I think that's what this cross is about. We don't know what we're doing. It was Alexander Solzhenitsyn, I think, I forgot to check this, who said, the battle line between good and evil runs through the heart of every person. This, this makes me just ponder the amazing love of the cross. But God knowing this, the very worst of humanity, the Pol Pots and all that died to release us from it. Can we acknowledge that an enemy lodges not only in the hearts of those whom we like to call the bad guys, the Saddam Husseins of the world, the Osama Bin Ladens, but also in our own hearts? Years ago, and I... This has just come to mind. I remember a group of pastors in America saw a painting on a church wall, what they would have called a liberal church, that after Osama bin Laden was executed by the Americans, they had this picture of Jesus embracing Osama bin Laden. Scary thought! But I reckon that's depicting something of what the cross is about. God knew all this about the human heart. And he embraced sin that it could be dealt with. That's why Jesus prayed. Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. Let's pause, reflect. Father, we thank you for the mystery and the power of the cross. We thank you, Jesus, that you did not remain silent in those dark hours of suffering and humiliation. Thank you, Jesus, that you prayed out of the abundance of your Father's heart of love and forgiveness. Thank you. Thank you that your love and mercy trumps sin, confessed sin every time. And so we confess to you right now that we are so often deceived by sin. And we ask for your forgiveness, knowing that you give it abundantly. Help us to accept and know your forgiveness offered to us in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And help us to see the great need in the hearts of men, women and children around us. Help us to minister lovingly and forgivingly to those 
in need. Amen.